Fantastic. Well, it's it's great to to be together. And for some of you guys, at the moment, it's a big time, isn't it? For some of you guys, either the last kind of week or two or the week coming um, is is a big time because it's results season, isn't it? Now, you probably don't want me to begin to talk about that, but it is. It's results season for A-levels and GCSEs and for making decisions about the future. So for some of you, it's a, it's a big time. For others of you, that seems a very long time ago, doesn't it? The days when you were getting your GCSEs or your O-levels or whatever it happened to be called back then seems a, a very long time ago. But with all of this, I've been thinking about my kind of time at school. And um, I, I don't know about you, but if you kind of think back to your, your time at school, what, what comes to, to mind for you? But I've realized that for me, as I think back to my time at school, it's not about the academics. I don't really think about the results that I achieved or anything else like that. What comes to mind for me when I think back to school is people. I don't know if it's people for you, but that's what it is for me. And as I've, as I've thought about the, the people, one of my lasting impressions of, of school for me is that it was a period of time where I spent a lot of time trying to find my place, to work out who I was and where I fitted in. And there was something in me, and I think there's probably something in all of us that was searching for a, a sense of belonging, searching for a sense of acceptance. And so, as I was, I was looking for that, naturally, I think part of what we do is we're looking for belongers, we're looking for acceptance, is that we try to surround ourselves with people who like us. Because we like to be liked, don't we? At least I like to be liked, I like people who like me. And as we do that, what tends to happen as a byproduct of that is that we end up surrounding ourselves with people who are like us. And so for me, what that meant when I was in school is that my friendship group formed around a group of people where we all kind of shared the same taste in music. And that taste in music then shaped the way that we dressed. And so if you kind of saw us as a group, we'd all be there with our big baggy jeans and kind of chains hanging down and black jackets with band logos on the back. And you can kind of picture the kind of group that we were. And we separated ourselves from everyone who was different to us. You know, but this desire to belong, this kind of desire to be accepted, doesn't disappear when we leave school, does it? You know, throughout our lives, we naturally look to surround ourselves with people who like us. Because we want to be liked. And so we naturally look to surround ourselves with people who are like us. People who look like us and who agree with our opinions. And I think part of this is normal, but I think there's also a real danger with it too. And the danger is that we start to, to look down on and to push away and to want nothing to do with the people who don't look like us and the people who don't agree with our opinions. You know, and in our society, it seems to be coming harder and harder to disagree with someone, to have a different point of view than someone, to come from opposite sides of the spectrum with someone and still have a relationship with them. You know, and one of the things that has highlighted this so clearly over the last kind of couple of years has been the whole kind of issue uh, to do with Brexit, hasn't it? You know, suddenly, where you stand politically, it becomes hugely divisive. And people are rallying together with others who think like them and are demonizing the people who think otherwise. And being able to interact with people through a keyboard on social media rather than dealing with people personally and face-to-face just makes it even worse. And there will be things 
where you disagree with people. There will be things where you have different points of view with people that you meet. And you'll come at it from opposites. And because we are all looking for people who like us, and we're all looking for people who are like us, if we're not careful, we can so easily end up separating ourselves and looking down on people who think differently than we do. And you know, this wouldn't be an issue, because all of this is pretty normal, this wouldn't be an issue, except that it seems to be an issue for Jesus. He didn't live life like that. Instead, he seemed to go out of his way to spend time with and to have conversations with people who thought differently than he did. People that he disagreed with. People who were different to him. People who lived life in a way that went completely against God's ways. And so today, as we we continue this series, Jesus in Focus, I want to try and bring into focus how Jesus relates to people, and what it is that we can learn from that about how Jesus wants to relate to us. But also, what it is that we can learn from that about if we're going to be a people who follow Jesus and follow his example, what it means for us as we look to relate to others. To help us to grapple this, we're going to look at a story, and it's a story that will be familiar to a lot of you. It's a story that we find in John chapter 4. And in this story, Jesus meets a woman that he has every reason to look down on, every reason to pull away from, every reason to have nothing to do with. Because you see, Jesus is a Jew, and this woman is a Samaritan. And that might not mean an awful lot to some of you. So to understand a little bit of why this is a big deal, I want to give you a very brief history lesson. About 900 years before this kind of story takes place, before this moment takes place between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, there's a civil war in Israel, which divides Israel into the northern kingdom and into the southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, it, be, it kind of keeps the name of Israel to start with. And then over time, it changes its name and becomes known as Samaria. And in the southern kingdom, it's, it's known as Judah. And it's known as Samaria just because Samaria is the capital city of that area. And then a couple of hundred years after they split in, in this northern area, Samaria is overthrown and is taken over by a, another kind of country, another empire called the Assyrians. And the Assyrians, they take most of the Israelites out of Samaria and they scatter them across the empire and they send a whole load of Assyrians to go and live in Samaria in their place. And for the guys who stay in Samaria, for the Israelites that are still there, what happens then is that they start to to intermarry with the Assyrians and they start to take on and to adopt and to absorb some of the culture of the Assyrians. And this meant that the Israelites who were in Judah who become known as the Jews, they stopped considering the Israelites in Samaria, who become known as the Samaritans, as really people of God anymore. They weren't really the part of the people of God. And so they looked down on them, and they pushed them away, and they separated themselves from them. And this created a lot of hatred and hostility um, between the Jews and the Samaritans which just grew over time. And, and so the Samaritans, they started to adapt to the Jewish faith. They started to change it and had a different focus. They created their own place of worship, all as their kind of way of putting two fingers up at, at the, the Jews to say, we're going to do it our own way. So coming back to the, the story in John 4, Jesus has decided that it's time for him to leave Judea and travel to Galilee. And so John writes in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. But the reality is that Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. 
You know, if we, you look at the, the map here, you can see you've got Judea in the south and Galilee in the north and Samaria is, is in the middle. And so if you wanted to travel from Judea up to Galilee, it would be about a three-day journey to go through Samaria. But the Jews felt so strongly about their hate for the Samaritans, they so wanted nothing to do with them that they wouldn't even enter their land. And so instead, they would go around from Judea, around the river, and back into Galilee again, which was a six-day journey to get there. Now, you know if you hate someone, if you're willing to walk an extra three days just to avoid them. You know, most of us are too lazy for that. You know, most of us, if you're going to take that amount of effort to avoid somebody, we'll just put up with them being there. In fact, the hatred of the Samaritans by the Jews was so strong that if you were Jewish and a family member of yours married a Samaritan, you would throw a funeral and you would consider that person to be dead for the rest of their lives. So Jesus, he didn't have to go through Samaria. That wasn't a normal thing to do. He could have gone around it. There were other options there for him. But he had to go through Samaria because he knew that God wanted him to go through Samaria. He knew that that's something that God had for him to do. And and Jesus is beginning to show us something of who he is. He's beginning to show us something of God's heart. Simply by the route that he chooses to take to get to Galilee. Coming back to the story in John 4 then, we read this. He says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So Jesus has stopped at a well. It's the middle of the day and it's hot. And then something unusual happens. And a woman comes to collect water. And this is unusual because the normal thing to do would be to go to collect water in the morning in the cool of the day. Not in the heat of the day, uh, noon. That's what would have happened. The whole kind of crowd of women would go out from the town and they would go in the cool of the day to the well. And This would kind of be the equivalent of of the women going out to have a, a, a gossip and a chat with one another at Costa or Starbucks. And they'd all kind of meet there and gather around the well. But this woman, she wasn't welcome. This woman, she wasn't allowed to be part of the in crowd. She wasn't allowed to be part of this group of ladies as she as they gathered together. And so she had to come in the heat of the day on her own. And as the story goes on, we find out why. We find out that this woman has had five husbands. And 2,000 years ago in the culture they were in, this was completely socially unacceptable. Not only that, but the man that she is now living with is not a husband. And it's not all explained, but the likelihood is that this woman has nowhere to go. She's burnt all of her bridges, and so now she's exchanging sex for rent. So she's just got somewhere to stay. You know, and because of everything that this woman has been through, because of life choices that she has made, she is looked down on, and she is rejected. She's whispered about and she's belittled and she's pointed at as an example of what not to be and what not to do. She's treated as someone who is dirty and worthless. And shame has so overtaken her that it's probably how she's come to see herself too. And so she chooses to come to the well on her own. Jesus has every reason to want nothing to do with this woman. 
He has every reason to look down on her. He has every reason to push her away and to separate himself. Not only because she's a Samaritan woman, but because of the the life choices that she's made and the things that she's done, she's even looked down on and rejected by the Samaritans themselves. Because she has lived a life and is still living a life that Jesus could not agree with. That Jesus could not endorse. It went against what it was that he would, he would hold up as a way of life. And yet despite all of this, this is who Jesus chooses to sit down with and to talk to. This is who Jesus has, has chosen to break all of the, the social norms of his day to go and see. I think in this we get to see so clearly something of God's heart. And how our God is a God who pursues even those who we would think are the least likely. Who accepts people who others push away and reject. And some of you might be here today and you, you might be embarrassed about some areas of your life. You might be embarrassed about some of the life choices that you've made. You might wonder if God could really want a relationship with me. Could he really desire to spend time with me? If he could possibly love you. And yet we see here that God in Jesus not only came to this earth, but he went out of his way, he broke all the cultural norms to meet with this one woman who everyone else would have written off. That's how much God loves people, even those who think that they're unlovable. That's how much God loves you. And so Jesus is alone with this woman. His disciples aren't there. It's an awkward moment because these two people shouldn't really have been spending time together. He's breaking all the social norms of his day and he asks her to give him a drink. And then this is what we read in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You know, this woman is completely confused because she knows that in a Jewish culture, in a Jewish background, that for him to, to drink from the same vessel that she is using would make him unclean. That would make him dirty. That would make him rejected by the Jewish people. And yet Jesus, he, he doesn't even go there. And I, and I think this verse, the way that Jesus responds is key to the whole story. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, it would change everything for you. And if we want to bring Jesus into focus, if we want to understand something of who he is, we need to get hold of this. This is the ministry of Jesus. Time and again, every part of what he says, every part of what he does is, is about helping people to grasp and to understand and to see something of the gift of God, to see something of who he is, to see something of what it is that God is putting on offer to them. Because he knows that that changes everything. And what Jesus offers is life with God. Jesus is saying, God loves you and he wants to know you. 
to have a relationship with you. And the gift of God is that he is the one who's making this possible. It's not about you getting it right and living a perfect life and managing to do all the right things and being socially acceptable. God, the gift of God is that he makes this relationship with him possible. And he wants to give us joy and peace and hope. And it changes everything when we know him. But the woman at the well, she doesn't get it. She has no idea what Jesus is talking about. In fact, she probably thinks he's a little bit nuts. And so she says to him, I don't know if she's a bit sarcastic in this, I probably would have been. But she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And so Jesus tries to explain that what he's talking about is more than just physical water. And he says to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I still don't think she gets it. I still don't think she understands what Jesus is, is talking about. And I don't know, as I say, if she's, if she's just kind of toying with Jesus and being sarcastic with him and kind of playing along, or if she's clutching to straws, hoping that maybe in the midst of everything she's going through, someone really does have something to offer her. But this is what she says. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus asks her to do something. He says, go, call your husband and come back. And, and this wouldn't have been a strange thing for him to, to request because you know having a husband there would have made this whole conversation so much more culturally acceptable than the idea of a man talking with a woman on their own publicly. So this wasn't an, an odd question for, to, for him to ask, but in this moment, it probably made her heart sink. And she probably, in this moment, had everything brought front and centre for her. All of the pain, all of the rejection, all of the reasons that she was in, the mess that she was in, were just suddenly brought front and centre. And she probably just thought, here we go. This is when it's all going to go wrong. This is when who I really am is going to come to light. And so she says, I have no husband. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And it can seem like what Jesus says here is brutal. As he just exposes everything that she's ashamed of. He exposes the reason that the people in the community reject her and shun her. But I think what's really going on is that Jesus is showing her that he knows her. He knows who she is. He knows what she's done. He knows what she's been through and the way people have treated her. And even knowing all of that, even knowing who she is, he is still reaching out to her. Even knowing all of that, he is inviting her to receive eternal life. And if Jesus was talking to us now, it'd be like he was saying, look, you can try. You can try and avoid people and you can try and kind of hide your secrets and keep them to yourself so that everybody else sees this kind of nice, pristine version of you. But I know who you really are. I know all the skeletons in the closet. I know all the things that you get up to when you were younger. 
and of all of the things that go on inside your heart. And of all the things that go on behind closed doors. You can hide it from other people, but you can't hide it from me. I know you. I know the real you. And that can make us feel exposed. That can make us feel vulnerable. That can make us feel scared. But Jesus goes on saying, even knowing all of that, I am still reaching out to you. I'm still extending this invitation to you for for us to be close, for us to have a relationship, for you to have hope in me, for you to be satisfied in me. And I wonder if for the Samaritan woman, this was all just getting a bit too intense. If she just felt this exposure, she felt vulnerable, she felt scared. and So she, she, she couldn't quite face the idea of it. And so she just pulls away and she tries to keep Jesus at arm's length. And so she tries to change the topic of conversation and to engage Jesus in some kind of religious debate. She wants to focus on what's different between the two of them. Because if she focuses on what's the differences between the two of them, they'll end up in an argument and they'll kind of push each other away. Because that's what happens when we're not like each other. That's what happens when we don't agree. And so she says, you, you Jews, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem at the temple. But us, we Samaritans, we don't worship there. We worship on the mountain. We worship on Mount Gerzon. Let's focus on our differences. But again, Jesus doesn't let her push him away. He just kind of sidesteps the whole debate. He doesn't even go there. And he says, it's not about the mountain and it's not about the temple. A time is coming, this is verse 23, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. She's tried to draw Jesus into a religious debate that focuses on their differences. And yet Jesus brings the whole thing back to the fact that God is seeking after her. Isn't that beautiful? God isn't looking for people who will worship in the temple or on this mountain. He's not looking for people who are going to conform and get it all right on the outside and follow all of the rules. He's looking for people whose hearts are for him. And he says, you are not excluded. This invitation is open even to you. And when Jesus uses the word truth here, if we, we look back at, I don't like bringing Greek in too much, but if we look back at the, at the Greek side of things and what it is that's really written there, you know, sometimes we read this and we think, well, we're going to worship in spirit and truth means we've got to know all the right things. We've got to have the right beliefs. We've got to know all the right stuff about God. But you know, the object of truth in this sentence isn't God. The object of truth in this sentence is the woman. This isn't about having all of the right beliefs and having it all sorted and the right doctrines and all of the rest of it. This is about being true and authentic and real with God in who we are, in how we worship. What God is looking for is for people who don't try and put on a show that they've got it all together, but who are able to face their failures to face their struggles, to be honest about them with God. Knowing that God has mercy and grace for them in the midst of it. And it's as we face 
the truth about ourselves with God's grace. That we begin to be transformed and these these things begin to, to lose their hold on us and we begin to be set free. But the Samaritan woman, she's still trying to keep Jesus at arm's length. She's still trying to push him away. And so she tries to close the conversation down. This is just too much. She's so hurt and so pained and so rejected that she can't receive what it is that Jesus is offering. So she tries to close the conversation down. And she says, I know that Messiah, the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything. Let's just draw a line under it. That's the day when we'll get it all sorted out. But in love... And compassion. Jesus chooses, and this is incredible if you begin to think about this. Jesus chooses to make the first person that he reveals himself to, that he reveals who he really is to. His disciples don't even really get who he is at this moment. He chooses to make the first person that reveals who he is to, this sinful woman that has been rejected by everybody else. And he says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. I don't think we can begin to get our heads around how powerful this moment must have been. Here she is, a woman who has been rejected by people, a woman who probably believes that she's rejected by God. A woman who is ashamed of who she is. And Jesus says to her, I am I'm the King of Kings. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for and longing for. God has sent me to come to you today so that you can know who I am, so that you can know that I love you, that I know about your past, but I still love you. I know about your failures, and I love you. I know about the mess that you've made of your life, and I love you. And so you can know that you can be forgiven, so that you can know that you still can have a relationship with me. You can still have hope in this life and for eternity. If you just accept my invitation, just stop pushing me away. And I think this is the moment when she finally gets it. When it all kind of clicks. And this shatters the woman's ideas about God and the woman's ideas about what God must think of her. And and if we get hold of what's happening here, then this shatters all of our ideas about who's acceptable to God and who isn't. And it's not that God is endorsing that lifestyle. It's not that it's, he's saying it's all okay. It's not that he's saying it doesn't matter or that he's compromising his standards. None of that is going on. But it makes it so clear that none of that stops God from reaching out to us either. None of it stops God reaching out to you. And so in verse 28 it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? You know, this woman who has spent so long avoiding people leaves the water jar and runs back to the town to tell the very people that she's been avoiding, the very people who've been rejecting her, that she believes that she's just met the Messiah. And nothing about this woman's circumstances have changed. Everything on the outside is exactly the same. She's still in exactly the same position. But because of this encounter with Jesus, everything on the inside has changed. 
And she knows that she is of value. She knows that she's loved. She knows that, that God knows her and still accepts her. And everybody must have been able to see the change in her. It must have been so visible and evident that this woman had just been transformed. That she just shone and was different. And she's going out and she's saying, Hey, if this guy knows me and he loves me, if he's inviting me, then this invitation, it must be for you too. And as we read on in the story, what we discover is that because of this woman, because of her story, because of what she does, the whole town come out to meet with Jesus and they all come to know and believe Jesus for themselves. Now this is a fantastic story that shows us so much of Jesus' heart. But you know, I think in different ways and in varying kind of ways and levels and We can so often be like the Samaritan woman and try to keep God at arm's length. You know, whether you're already a follower of Jesus, or whether that's something that you're kind of wrestling with and you're struggling with and you're thinking about and you're trying to figure out if that's something that you want to give your life to and what it all means. I think this is something that is so easy for all of us to do. We can keep God at arm's length by closing off different areas of our lives and making them no-go zones. Areas of our lives that we're ashamed of, or areas of our lives that we want to hold on to and we want to keep control over. So we keep God at arm's length because we don't want him to coming into that bit. We can hold God at arm's length by making our relationship with him all about head knowledge. All about knowing the right things and doing the right things and on the outside looking right and getting it right and we can enter into arguments and debates and we can come across so spiritual and so, you know, kind of because we know our Bible so well and we've memorized all these different verses and we've got it all sorted. But we're going to keep God's at arm's length because there's no way we're going to let ourselves be vulnerable with him. And this morning, I want to encourage you that God already knows you. There is no part of your life, no part of your past, no part of your heart that is hidden from him. He knows you. And he loves you. And he is still reaching out to you and inviting you to start a relationship with him or inviting you to go deeper with him, to be vulnerable with him and to go deeper and be closer. And if you have a sense that that, that God is stirring your heart and he's making that invitation to you to come closer to him, to go deeper with him, then I want to encourage you to respond today, to, to open up that area of your life, to allow him in, to know that God loves you. And he wants to go deeper in his relationship with you. And there is nothing about who you are that you need to try and hide from him. There's nothing about who you are that is too much for him to handle and is going to lead to him pulling away. He loves you. So this encounter with a Samaritan woman, it helps to bring into focus for us something of Jesus' heart, and it's beautiful. But you know, I also think it helps to bring into focus something of Jesus' example. And that's a bit more challenging. 
And as we look at to be a people who follow Jesus' example, we need to be honest with ourselves and to ask ourselves, are there people around us who we look down on? Who we've written off or who we, we don't really want to have anything to do with? To ask the question in another way that maybe is a little bit easier for you to get your head around. Are there, are there people around, are there, can you think of people who you wouldn't want to sit next to you on a bus? Or on a plane? Or on a train? You know, is there a particular person or a group of people or a type of people, if you saw them getting onto the bus or getting onto the plane and walking towards you, that you'd kind of pick your bag up and put it on the seat there? And hope that they'd just keep on walking. Because they're just not your type of person. Because as we look to follow Jesus' example, he challenges us. Within our world where we are surrounded by people from differing backgrounds and with differing political views or different values and beliefs, how would Jesus engage with the people in a world like ours? How would Jesus engage with people who he disagreed with? And on the back of that, how should we? How should we engage with them in person? How should we engage with them through social media? How can we engage with them in a way where we're reaching out to them with love? what we see in this story is that Jesus has an amazing way of knowing a person. Knowing all the different ways that they fell short of God's standards. All the different ways that he would disagree with them. And yet still he would reach out to them with love. How can we do the same? And if you're honest with yourself and you know that there are people who you'd struggle to reach out to, you know that there's people who you'd struggle to spend time with, then I want to encourage you this morning to ask God to help you to begin to see those people as he sees them and to give you his heart for them. That you would know how he loves them. And once you know that, you can't help but love them too.